the People Show. Josh Elliott Wolf, Dominic Schumatti filling in for Vic Nazar today, who is filling in for Satyar Shah on Canuck Central. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Kintech Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet, what are you waiting for? Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Stop it. <laughs> Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. You can text in 650-650 Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, today on the show, Ian McIntyre is going to join us in a, in a few minutes. We'll get into Saturday's game. We'll get into – I want to talk to him about JT Miller a little bit. He's uh, I, I think he's kind of been underrated lately. And underpaid. And underpaid for this year. Yeah, he's been, yeah. he's been really good. And, uh, of course – of course, we will get into the Elias Pettersson conversation, especially like in the second half of the show today. We're going to go hard on Elias Pettersson talk. And the reason Dominic Schramatti is, is uh, well, we like having you in here, but also a Who's part we? of the- This is my show. I'm hosting. I don't know what to say. Um, but it's fun to have you in here because you've suddenly become a big- uh, you got takes on Pedersen. So we'll get into that in the second half of the I'm show. I'm just not afraid to say what people are thinking. That's yeah, all. but I think no, but also no. Because I just disagree with a lot of what you're saying. Like my and laptop it's a very, says, stay salty. It's a very divisive It's a very divisive topic, and we'll get into both sides of it. Attack it from all angles in the second half of the show. You're a divisive guy, eh? I'm a divisive guy? Yeah, I'm more of a divisive guy. Oh, in terms of what I say? Yeah. I say it the proper way. You say it the way you want to say it. Anyway, thrilling game on Saturday. The Bruins. Were you there? I was not there. You were there. It was great. Uh, it did seem like a great game Grand to be theater. in the crowd for. And what I will say, in terms of a game like the Canucks going into it, we all know, four-game losing streak. It felt like, hey, maybe this is going to stretch to five. We all know how how well Boston played against Vancouver the the first time they played a few weeks ago. But Vancouver showed up in a really, really big way, including JT Miller getting three points. And he was was unreal and and really powered the Canucks to the victory. In terms of things they still kind of have to work on, like the power play can still – they didn't get enough chances on the power play, much to the chagrin of the green men making their return. Well – after they showed up, there was only one other And it, it penalty. took until overtime yeah. for that penalty to happen. A too many men call that led to uh, the Canucks power play goal. The second you tweeted OT. out, when you tweeted out about not having another power play, I was like, they're not having another power play. Oh, yeah, for sure. Josh jinxed this. I will say, there, like, there wasn't a moment where, well, at least when I was watching, where I was like, that should have been called. Boston played a pretty pretty clean game. A suffocating game. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're really good at shutting teams down but the Canucks found their legs kind of throughout the game third period I thought was their best period by far and the the thing Boston does really well is they limit kind of like high dangers and the secondary chances like any rebound was getting picked up by Bruin and it was getting out of the zone and Swayman swallows Swayman was Swayman was really really good but in the third the Canucks started to you know create those chances the first passer goal I think, oh, another guy who had a really good game on Saturday, Nikita Zadorov. He was, like, everywhere during that game. And that that was kind of, I, I would say, his best game as a Canuck so far. 
and he was a big reason why they won, got the primary assist on the first goal, and it was an overall very, very good game for him. But that is kind of the win that you need if you're the Canucks. Like, I couldn't really draw it up any better. When you're talking about breaking a streak, a lot of it is mental, right, in terms of, hey, you're on this four-game losing streak. You know how good you are. You've been as, playing good process. Yeah, you know how good you are results. as a team. Yeah. Boston, it felt like it was happening happening again. You were playing good five-on-five, five, but you just weren't breaking through. And then eventually you do near the end of the game. It felt like you know the emotional weight was kind of lifted off their shoulders a little bit. And in terms of like, I couldn't draw up other than maybe like a dominant blowout win. I couldn't draw out a better way for the Canucks to win that game. It is the People Show. Josh Lee Wolf, Dominic Schermatty filling in for Bick Nazar today. And we welcome in the triple threat, Sportsnet's triple threat, Ian McIntyre. And he is brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Uh, thanks for taking time, Ian. How are you? I'm doing well. How's the show going? It's going good. Going good. Getting into a Saturday's game. It, it was a it was a thrilling one. Are you were you expecting a, a Green Man return? How where where do you land on the on the Green Man? Are you a fan? Oh uh, yeah. How can you not like the Green Man? You know, I and agree. and retro Green Man as well. I don't know if they needed if. They had their suits tailored, you know, for age because it's been a it's been a while, or whether they pulled them out of the closet. But it was perfect timing, and I didn't know they were going to be there until shortly before they arrived because I had a little heads up that they'd be making a return in the first period. I think the team actually they had to work to find out who had the tickets because they had been resold. So then they had to track down who purchased them on the secondary market, and anyways. It, mm-hmm. it worked out, but it was perfect timing and that they arrived just as a Bruin was sitting in the penalty box yeah. and trying not to look at them. But now, you know, the uh, the scoreboard is so good with the massive, the massive uh, screen that even anyone in the penalty box, you can't help but know that they're there. So it was good. It was fun. Mm-hmm. Didn't get any uh, penalty calls for the rest of the game. I was I was like, man, just call one. I want to I want to see what they're going to do. But then over time, eventually they got one, and uh, yeah, it all worked out. Yeah. But so yeah. we were we were talking about the win, and you know the Canucks were on this four game losing streak going into it, and a lot of that is is it's kind of mental blocks. It, you get emotional, and it, it's difficult when you're trying to break out of a slump like that. But it kind of felt like the way that game played out against Boston on Saturday was kind of the the best way for the team to potentially break out of that slide. Oh yeah, I it's it's hard to picture a scenario that would be more beneficial to what they for what they needed at that moment than not just the win over Boston, but the win over Boston the way they did it. And you know, let's be honest, when you've lost four in a row, you're you're especially when you hadn't lost more than two all year and you, now you've lost four and you're a team that that's still, you know, trying to prove that you're you're legit because, you know, we know what the last few seasons have been like. We know what the flashbacks must be like for anybody who's worried about what's happening. You know, they would take any win against any opponent under those circumstances. You, you, coaches always talk about the process. In that case, the process would be secondary to the result. Just win, baby. And so they needed a win, and who's there waiting for them? But the Boston Bruins. Newman, as Seinfeld would have said. Yeah. You know, the Bruins 
always waiting for the Canucks. And, and it was just a, a, you know, it was a great night for fans, but it was a great night for the team. And you could tell that in the dressing room afterward with the way the guys were. And it wasn't just relief. It wasn't just happiness. It was like, you know, their, their belief system had suddenly been restored because uh, one of the best things about that game from a Canucks perspective is that they just continued to play their game and they continued to play the same way. Once they fell behind one, nothing, then two, nothing. They just kept doing the same things, getting the puck deep, uh, being direct, being physical, playing below the hash marks. And, uh, you know, Talkett mentioned it in, in his post-game press conference about just the calmness on the bench. The guys weren't panicking. And, the you know, Besser told me the message in, in the second intermission was, like, just we're, we're doing fine. We're generating chances. We're outplaying them. Let's just keep going. And so they kept going and, and end up winning a, a big game. And, you know, it, it's, it's great. But as I said that night uh, on radio after the game, it, it's one game, but now they have to validate it, right? If, mm-hmm. if they fall flat on their face against Pittsburgh and against L.A., then Saturday won't mean anything other than it was the game that interrupted the losing streak and, and then preceded another one. So it's really important that that turns out to be kind of a correction point and that their trajectory changes from that game, that it wasn't merely a blip. But it's hard to think of a better, more positive night for a Canuck team that desperately needed those things. And one thing we've talked about kind of throughout the season and maybe throughout his tenure has been JT Miller being the emotional leader for this team. Um, and we saw it on Saturday. Like I, th- I think that was maybe one of his, his best games of the season. Three assists factored in on every goal. And he was, he was playing physical. He was He was really into it. But the encouraging part of it felt like he was playing emotional, but he was playing within himself while being emotional. And I think that's something that the Canucks, if, they, if they're going to go on this run and go deep in the playoffs, that's the kind of play they need from JT Miller. Yeah, and JT has been playing well for, for a bunch of games now. He was one of the guys who stood out even during the four losses. That for the most part, he was still on top of his game. He and Brock, certainly they were still getting points. But JT... Uh, in in several of these games recently, has gone out on his first shift and and hit one or two guys, and tried to set a tone and tried to lead by example. And I think his his attitude, and I you know wrote about this earlier in the season. His his attitude and the way he conducts himself, his behavior, for lack of a better term, ha- is has just been transformed. And he still has times where his emotions get the best of him. And he talks about, you know, the, the, the struggle to, to channel his emotions, the struggle against uh, letting his temper make him react is something he figures he's going to have forever. He's always had it. He's always going to have it. But now what you see is if he, if he, he does go over the line. It's not smashing sticks at the bench and bod- bad body language. It's not uh, taking a 
I don't give a crap kind of penalty or quitting on a back check. It's just more emotion. Like he'll, he'll it, the game in Boston, for instance, the four nothing game they lost. He was trying to get his team going, came out on a shift. He hit Marchand in the corner. He came back up ice. There was another Bruin there and he just belted him. Problem is he didn't have the puck. So he got an interference penalty, but he's, that was an example of how he, he stepped over the line, but he did it out of aggressiveness, trying to help his team. He didn't step over the line for selfishness or lack of control, other than, I guess, if you take a penalty and hit a guy who doesn't have the puck, that's somewhat of a lack of control. But it's a far better problem to have, having to rein in that aggressiveness and emotion where he's trying so hard to help the team, rather than you know, more self-destructive emotions and and as I say, the body language and behavior that doesn't doesn't do anyone, including him, any good. And he recognizes that. It is quite remarkable how much he has grown as a player at this stage of his career. You know, a guy who's now thirty, and you know, everybody evolves. We 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 never stop. And anyone who's gotten older knows that. Like you're 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 constantly changing. You just hope it's for the better. And in JT's case. It certainly seems like he's a much better player and professional and leader now than he was a couple of years ago. Sportsnet Triple Threat, Ian McIntyre joining uh, Josh and I here on Sportsnet 650. Ian, how do you rate uh, Coach Rick Tockett's performances this season when the team's not doing well? It's easy to judge a coach on a team when, when you know things are going swimmingly and the teams are winning, but during the real hard points of this season, and especially this last slide, how would you rate the performance of Rick Tockett? Well, I love his honesty. I love the accountability. I think, you know, we've become accustomed to it now, that accountability. And that was what was so missing uh, from the group, especially towards the end of, of Bruce Boudreaux's time. And it's what was recognized right away by Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvine when they came in, what the group needed. So I love, I love that accountability. It does come with risk as a head coach when you're that hard and that blunt in your criticism of players as talk, it has been with us in the media, there's a risk to that, but because talk, it is talk it. And as he's told me, he doesn't say anything to us that he, that the players don't already know. Like he's already talked to them. They're aware of it as well. He's not, he's not kind of, you know, going around, a side door to try to send a message to a player. So he's got this honest relationship with players privately so he can be honest with us publicly. And, and so I, I think it's good. I think that you, you have to hold players accountable and you ha- if you're trying to set a standard, well then there's the standard and hold players to that standard, no matter how difficult it is. It's easier to say, than it is to do. The other thing that I uh, saw that I find fascinating about Rick Tockett in this regard is that I know he's very aware that you can't, no matter how badly the players might be playing, no matter how long you're losing streak, you just can't hammer on them every day because it, it's too hard. You wear them down emotionally, mentally, and, and that's more than just, you know, pissing guys off because they don't like criticism. When you, when you really start to wear people down, 
then you have a problem. So he's very conscious as a coach that he can go so far and then he has to step back. And there's been times this year where I know he's been unhappy with the team and he gives them a blast with us, which means, means he's given them a blast privately as well. And then he steps back. He literally will go a couple of, couple of days or a couple of games where he doesn't go in the dressing room. I mean, his office is always open. He can talk to players and he does meet with players. And of course he's coaching on the ice and there's a lot of communication. There's a lot of one-on-one conversations that happen on the ice before, during and after practices, but he gives them their space in the dressing room because he knows that they probably don't want to see him in that moment. It's also a sign of trust that he has in the leadership group and in the culture of the room and in people like JT Miller, plus a lot of others that they recognize these standards. They recognize the same need for accountability and that they will hold themselves accountable. So it's, it's constantly like a high wire act that a coach has to walk because you've got to, you've got to be tough You've got to be demanding, but at the same time, you've got to give players their space and give them uh, your trust that they can also sort it out, that they don't always need the coach to tell them what's wrong. So I, I, I find these dynamics just fascinating, coach and players. And whatever it is, and only the players and the coaches know for sure because we're not in the room, it sure seems to be a really healthy, effective, successful relationship right now. It does feel like uh, throughout the year, not everything can be going right for the Canucks at the same time. And right now, after Saturday, there was there was more reports from Elliot Freeman on the Elias Pettersson stuff. And teams are calling on him. Obviously, the Canucks would prefer to sign him. That's that's kind of what we've been hearing from Rutherford and Alvin. They want to sign him. They're trying to sign him. But nobody really knows what Pedersen is thinking. And he's been pretty steadfast in that he wants to wait until the summer. So we're going to see how all of this plays out. But Friedman reporting that teams are calling on him. My, I guess my question when I'm looking at this season and, and in regards to Pedersen is what more can the team do to prove that he should be signing here? I don't think there's anything more they, they need to do. I mean, I think, I think, you know, their, their sales case is that they operate successfully, that there is uh, cohesion and alignment within different levels of hockey operations and even above and below hockey operations so that anyone who's on the team feels confident that the team's operating in uh, an optimum, highly functional, competent, efficient manner, because that gives players confidence. And then, you know, as far as, you know, coach player, it's, is the coach honest? Do the players have his trust? Does he trust the players? And, and is the team successful? And, you know, all these, all these boxes are now checked for the Canucks. So I don't think it's, I don't think this standoff has anything to do with the Canucks having to prove or convince Elias Pettersson 
to stay. I think it's just Pedersen decided before the year that he wasn't going to uh, enter into negotiations after the season started and he wasn't going to talk about his contract and he has maintained his, his word. Like nothing, none of this really surprises me. I also don't think there's anything new. And I'm not, you know, that's no disrespect to Elliot or anybody else who's reported things about offers and this and that. I mean, they, Patrick Alvin has made it clear, and Pat Brisson has as well. The two Pats, the agent and the GM, are in contact. They talk regularly. They just aren't negotiating right now because so far, Pedersen hasn't wanted to start that process. And, you know, when I talked to Brisson in January uh, about this, uh, you know, he said, you know, he doesn't know when negotiations will begin, but it's still quite possible that they'll happen this season. But, you know, this is what, this is what Elias wanted and what Elias said he wanted. So it's, it's not really a surprise to me that we are where we are, but I, you know, I know that it's a huge story. It's a huge issue for the Canucks. They need to resolve it. They would love to have them sign. Like there's no, there's no impasse. It's just there's been no negotiations. The Canucks would love to have them re-signed or willing to pay him a lot of money. And when Pedersen is ready to start negotiations, then I think probably a deal will get done fairly quickly because, partly because, Alvin and Brisson have been talking. You know, they'll have, they'll have an idea of where things might go once negotiations begin. And... If we get to the end of the season and the off season and Pedersen isn't willing to start negotiations, then I think there'll be a new, a new chapter in this story because the Canucks need to know. It's one thing that Alvin has also made clear is he's not worried right now. He's not really even that worried about the summer because Pedersen is not going to be a UFA. He's going to be an RFA. The team will have quote unquote control for another year, but the GM understandably does need to know what his most, the guy who would be the most expensive player in franchise history wants to do because the GM has other work, Mm -hmm. which requires money. And he needs to know what players are going to be costing. He doesn't need to know right now though but he will need to know after this season. And we'll see how this all unfolds. Hey, Ian, uh, really appreciate you taking the time, and have a good one. Thanks, guys. Nice being on with you. Good luck. Thank you. There is uh, Ian McIntyre, Sportsnet's Triple Threat, and he was brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at dleamc.com. We do need luck. We do need luck. What do we need luck for? (laughs) For the show? Navigating these waters. That's fair enough. So on the other side, we're going to get into everything related to Pedersen. We'll we'll hit your text, 650-650, Dunbar Lumber text line, and anything regards to Pedersen, and uh, we'll get into it. It is a people's show, so we want your takes on the subject. People's show, Josh Elliott Wolf, Dominic Schmatty, Sportsnet 650. 
Everything Canucks before and after the games. Canucks Central with Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to The People Show. Josh Ali Wolf, Dominic Schermatti here with you on Sportsnet 650 for another half hour. Dan Riccio and Bick Nazar coming up on Canuck Central. Uh, Going to get into all the Pedersen stuff as well. We'll be joined by Don Taylor and Force of the Green Men making their return. They'll get into that as well. Adam Forsythe. Adam Forsythe. Former Canuck colleague Central. of ours. Yes. What uh, a guy. So... That'll come up on Canucks Central. Get your text in, 650-650. Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street. Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Have you ever worn a unitard? Have I ever? Oh, I see what you mean. I I thought that was just like a random question and then I remembered Green Men, yeah. unitards. Um, no. Oh, I've really? Not. I've not. It's not a good look. No, well, no, my first job in radio was uh, station mascot. We had to wear orange unitards. Okay, it's not fun. Do you, but you got to do you wear like shorts over it? Or yeah, shorts under it, it. Yeah. under it. It's tough. It takes away the like the unitardness if you're wearing clothes over top. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, uh, get your text in six fifty six fifty Dunbar Lumber text. I just want to shout out Sully. He had some amazing Jordan ones on. Yeah, on Saturday with the gold trim. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Got to pull out the best shoes you when, do. You're, when you're coming back. You do. Especially if it's a one-off and you're like, okay, got to yeah. step up this time. 650, 650, get your text in. It is the People Show, Josh Elliott Wolf, Dominic Shermatti. I said your name so weird. Uh, Dominic Shermatti. You all right? Yeah, I'm fine. So we want to get into Rattled. the Pedersen stuff. What happened on Saturday night in the second intermission of the game, Elliot Friedman dropping a little nugget. You know him. Oh, we're not talking about the pizza in the intermission? Was there pizza in the there intermission? Was pizza in the intermission. Yeah. Big win for you. Uh, but Elliot Freeman dropping a little nugget saying that... Teams are calling. Teams are calling on Pedersen. And the Canucks... Taking what, those calls. Taking the... Well, they have to... Like, you're always going to take the calls. Um, but not necessarily like... There hasn't been a huge development in the Pedersen saga. It's just... Teams are like, hey, what's going on here? This is weird. Let's call about it mm-hmm. and see if he is available or, or what the situation is. Anytime a star player like this comes up, there are going to be teams circling around it being like, hey, what? we need clarity because if he's available, we're going to give you this big package and, and go after him. My, I, I guess what I come back to and, and what I tweeted out on Saturday as well, there, there's like multiple layers to this. Is like a lasagna. Like a lasagna. Is the Canucks obviously want to sign him, right? They're doing Clearly, everything they we can. We know to this, sign yeah. Him. And we do, blank we t- check. Here you go. We talked to Ian McIntyre about this. It just like it doesn't feel like it's about money anymore at this point. It never has. And never. Like well, that. maybe for maybe for a moment it was like pre this season. You could have been like, hey, he wants more money, and and maybe the Canucks weren't there yet. But now at this point, the Canucks are probably like, here's this, like, write a check and we'll, we'll sign it. 
I don't know what else the Canucks can do to sell him on Vancouver if he's not already sold Outside on Outside of winning the cup? Outside of like, hey, you get to the playoffs, you'll see what the environment is in you the playoffs. You two will be on. Yeah. The streets have no name. They'll bring out the banners again. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, the banners. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the, like, maybe he gets sold on the atmosphere and he's like, hey, this is a place that I like he's never played here in the playoffs right maybe that sells him on it yeah. that's the last thing I can think of where it's like this is the thing that would that would put it over the top the only other thing that came to mind was maybe he didn't like that they left let Chris Tanev go the way they did bring him back bring him back and he's like you know what guys you made it right I'm not sure that those are the only two things I can think of so I guess that's what, a bit of a reach though that well boat well I don't know if the playoffs are, but the the TANF thing probably is, yeah. Yeah. Because he said in the boat interview, I want to win somewhere where it matters. Mm-hmm. And it would matter here. It would matter, honestly, like there's only a couple places it might matter equally to here. Yeah. And that that should mean something. But also, there there is an element of... At a certain point, if you haven't signed, are you are you sold on what's going on here? And is anything going to change your your opinion on what Vancouver is and if you want to stay? And again, we don't know what Pedersen is thinking. He's a, he's an enigma, and all he said is that he's going to wait till after the season, readdress things, and we'll we'll see what happens. Six fifty, six fifty. We get a text. Pete, uh, Pedersen values peace and quiet. The Vancouver market does not provide that at all. Saying he's a uh, Goudreau two I don't know. I don't know if that's necessarily the case. Like I don't. I think he's a guy that wants the spotlight, but I just don't know if he's sold on what Vancouver is doing. And again, I don't like. They're first in the league. They've they've made these big acquisitions. I don't know what else you can do to to sell him on. Vancouver. I don't think he wants the spotlight. But this the, what what about Elias Pettersson has made you think? That he wants the spotlight. Okay, let's run through the list. Okay, early in his we career. All, hold on, hold on. Okay, he's already. We've already found out that he doesn't like his words being parsed through. Elliot has mentioned that multiple times. Mm-hmm. If you're in the spotlight, we don't do that at all here in Vancouver. Not at all. Yeah. Right. So there's there's number one. Number two, when he was a younger player, what was he doing? A lot of that pissed people off. Social media. Social media. But that's what I'm saying is like, I think Another, he wants that attention. No, he doesn't want that attention. But then why would he do the social media in the first place? This is my point is that he thought he wanted the attention. Right. And then once he got the attention and realized how much people were ragging on him, because it was like, well, why are you focusing on Instagram? Why aren't you playing the, why aren't you focusing on hockey? Mm-hmm. I think Elias Pettersson quickly found out that maybe the bright lights of Vancouver, not for him. I don't know. I, I, well, think, like, think about it. But what? What about Elias Pettersson makes you think that he wants the media attention, the fan attention of Vancouver? Honestly, it's the, the him wanting to be like on social media and be more of a multi-platform athlete and someone that can do those things. And I think he still wants to do those things because just not in a the, market where they're going to tear him apart. But yeah, the, and the places that have come up are like L.A., the Rangers, you know, like big markets where he would still be getting attention, maybe not as scrutinized because Vancouver and all Canadian cities are naturally that. But if he goes to a New York or L.A., he's going to have those opportunities to keep 
doing stuff off the ice, but maybe maybe he isn't getting as much attention for what he's saying or doing. So maybe maybe attention is in the world word. It's the scrutiny and criticism. Maybe and, and hey, if he doesn't want the scrutiny and criticism, get like, out of Canada. Because every also, Canadian market you play in, Josh, that's going to be a thing for sure. And, and look, I can agree on that. I can agree that like there isn't a single Canadian team you can play for as Elias Pettersson where you're not going to be the number one most talked about thing on that team. Mm-hmm. But I, I think even if he goes to L.A. or the Rangers, like that, that is still going to follow him. Maybe not as long. Not nearly as much. You're not the number still- one. You're not the number one team in L.A. You're not the number one team in New York. Mm-hmm. You will always be shielded by the NFL and by Major League Baseball and by the NBA. Always. If that's the reason that he doesn't want to sign in Vancouver, and again, we have no idea what the reason. If he does, if if he doesn't want to sign in Vancouver, what that reason is. If that's that's like the only legitimate reason I could look at and be like, okay, he's just not he's not built for this market, and that's okay. It's okay for a player not to be built for a Vancouver market or a Montreal or Toronto, whatever. It would still be extremely frustrating if you're a fan extremely like it would be a big loss for the team and so that that's the other part i want to get into is the so we're getting a lot of texts and i think it's people that are trying to emotionally prepare themselves to an extent for the possibility of petterson leaving and so what they're doing is it's like hey we don't honestly the canucks don't even need him he's a guy who falls down all the time not built for the big moments whatever and people are, are tearing him down because, the, like, if he leaves, you don't want to be hurt. And that's okay. It's okay to be hurt. It's, it's <laughs> okay. turned into a therapy It's session. okay to feel pain. <laughs> it's okay to be like, hey, this really good player is leaving and it sucks. Yeah. And it's okay to feel that way. We don't have to tear him down and, and make up narratives to justify him leaving. Because I, I think all those narratives, like the can't perform in big games, the... Like, hey, maybe he's just a just a guy who doesn't drive play as much as but th- you might think. But I think it's all like fabricated. But those those talking points aren't talking points about whether or not people want him on this team. Those are talking points when it, when it comes to how much is a player worth in contract negotiations. Yes, but it's also people have gone so far with it that it's like, well, if you're going to pay him $12 million anyway, then you should just get rid of him because the cap space is going to be better. So what I tweeted out on Saturday... That's, that's, that's a little over top. What I tweeted out on Saturday was, there is no scenario where the Canucks win an Elias Patterson trade. When you're trading the best player, like, he would be the best player in the deal. You're not getting a better player than Elias Patterson. Back Dream about Connor Bedard all you want. It's yes. not happening. There's no realistic... That's the, the asterisk I'll put on it. There's no realistic scenario where the Canucks win a trade for Elias Pettersson. And we've seen it in the past. Like Jack Eichel, the Golden Knights won that trade. I know Buffalo got Alex Tuck and a a couple picks, Peyton Krebs, whatever. Vegas won the deal. And and they went on to win the cup. There is no scenario where trading Elias Pettersson makes your team better. And there, there is the world where you have to trade him because... He's not signed. If he doesn't want if to If he's sign not him, coming back, you have to trade You have to yeah, trade yeah. And you have to see what... And that's can. not on the Canucks. That's the other thing that people don't understand. That's not on the Canucks. That's not on the media. That's not on the fans. Mm-hmm. If a player genuinely doesn't want to be here, the only person you can point the finger at is the player. Yeah. And... And if that's the case, then you have to trade the player. And you, and 
There isn't a more competent duo than Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvin that I'd have more faith in. Currently, for sure. To to net the highest return possible for Elias Patterson. Yes. How many trades can you look at and say those two lost that trade? In Vancouver so yeah. far? Um, They're batting like it's really just 900? The, it's just the Dickinson trade, I guess. Yeah. But that's the only one I look at. And I'm like, ah, I, w- I would want that one back. But the rest of them, like even the Heronic trade, that's been their big move. The Zadorov trade has paid off. Like all of them have paid off. Yeah. So look, Horvat I, I, trade paid off. Horvat trade. That's the other one that paid off. And, and look, I agree with you to the like if they if they get to the point, I'm confident that they're going to be able to get a reasonable return back for Elias Pettersson. But I just I look around the league and and what happens is like so Brady Kachuk's on the TV right now so I'm going to bring his name up. People are thinking about hey like maybe Brady Kachuk could be available and it could be a one for one deal because Ottawa's looking for a shakeup. I have no reason or I can think of no reason why Ottawa would want to do that. Unless they have confirmation that Pedersen is signing with the Ottawa yeah. Senators. And then, like I have no reason to Believe what, he why, if he's not he's signing like in Vancouver, Vancouver, why is he signing in Ottawa yeah. where things are kind of like a mess in in regards to everything happening off the ice there? So I, I have no reason to believe that Ottawa would, would be a decent trade partner or if they would even want to do that. Um, 650-650, get your text in. we got a lot to go through. Uh, this one, there's a scenario with New Jersey if we unite the Hughes brothers in Vancouver and give High up the High in the farm. sky thinking. That's the other thing. When we talk about, like, so I put this tweet out and people mm-hmm. were like, well, what about if they get Jack Hughes and Luke Hughes? It's like, yeah, that would be great. That's, you should do that right now even if he wants to sign. But that's not going to happen because Jack Hughes is on the most team-friendly deal a superstar is on at yeah. the moment. And... They're not going to be like, hey, let's trade this guy for a guy we're going to have to pay more. And look, I, I do think Pedersen is a better player than Jack Hughes. But... Brother. the <laughs> Brother. Um, but... That does factor into it. Well, it, factor, like, it factors into why Vancouver would want yeah. him. But it doesn't factor into why New Jersey would want to get rid of him. Yeah. Uh, 650, 650, the Dunbar Lumber text line. Um, this one. Why can't we just focus on the great game Saturday and the fact that the Canucks been. won and not, not focus on the what-ifs? This has been – I've been a little frustrated by this take that I've been seeing on social media. It's like, well, the Canucks are having this great season. Did Big text that in? <laughs> Did Big text that in? Um, that was his whole post-game narrative. Was it? Yeah. It, it's been frustrating me because it's like, well, the Canucks are having this great season. Why do you, why do you even have to worry about it? Just enjoy the season and address it in the offseason. When you're arguably best player, the guy who you would be paying the most money he's to. your best forward. He's your best forward. Once potentially doesn't want to sign in Vancouver or with your team, that is always going to be major news. And it's, yeah. it, it, would be, it would be silly of us not to talk about it. So I'm kind of done with that. Narrative. Could you imagine? Like, imagine we came in today, the Monday after Hockey Night in Canada where – Elliot Friedman goes on headlines and goes, teams are calling on Elias Pettersson. And we just come in and go, oh, okay. Cool. How about that game Saturday? <laughs> yeah. They beat the Bruins. That wow. was fun. And look, hey, it was a great game. We talked about it in the first segment. It was a great game. JT Miller was great. Nikita Zadorov was great. 
unfortunately, and this is kind of what we've been talking about all year is like, Elias Patterson has said that he's not going to talk until the off season or like negotiate until the off season because he doesn't want it to be a distraction. This is like the biggest distraction it could be. Here's the thing with that, what you just said. It's like, okay, he doesn't want to talk until the off season. That's fine. Your camp can still give an inclination one way or the other mm-hmm. to the team and its managers. Do you think his camp knows, though? Or is it just Pedersen being like, I don't know. 100% his camp knows. Uh, Come on. Well, from what we've heard, it's it's all Pedersen being like, not he's not committed. I choose to believe yet. that he his camp knows what he wants. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other but part. If you, but if you don't want to be a distraction... You could easily tell your camp, and then your camp can then relay to the managers of the team, hey, listen, this is where we're leaning. Mm-hmm. And then they know. Well, I think they'll know. We'll, we'll get more clarity in the offseason. You can, you can let your team know what, which way you want to go without negotiating the terms of a contract. Fair. Fair. But like the agents can go to the team and be like, listen, he really wants to stay here, but, but the it's got to be a certain number. The Canucks so. also need the clarity of like how much he wants to get paid. And Elliot said they've talked about that in concept. Right. Um, 650-650, Dunbar-Lumber text line. The other part of this, you can't trade him mid-season. Well, you you, you legally can. <laughs> yes, you legally like, can trade could. anyone mid-season. They can. Um, but you with the where the Canucks are, it would, in my, when I'm looking at this, it makes no sense to trade him midseason. With where the Canucks are, again, I don't think you're winning a trade. So realistically, like you're not getting better when you bring players, whatever your return would be. So this would be something that they're probably going to get through close to the draft. Well, they'll have a more clarity on what Pedersen wants to do, where his mind is at if he wants to sign in Vancouver. And then when they get to the draft, that's kind of a scenario where especially when you when you know who's picking where, that's something that could play into Elias Pettersson and, and potential trade talks. And again, the best scenario, the best outcome, in my opinion, is still for him to sign. And I know people are starting to get their backs up and starting to be like, well, maybe it isn't good if he signs because he's going to get a bunch of money and he might not be worth it. He's going to be worth it. Every time uh, a, an elite player has been signed to a contract that has initial sticker shock and you're like, wow, that was, a, that was a big contract. Two years down the line, the cap goes up a little bit and you're like, oh, you know what? That, was, that wasn't that bad. They got him on this great deal. Your voice went high. Yeah, because you're like, oh, it wasn't that bad. Maybe I was wrong. That's, that's where I'm at with Elias Patterson. There's no contract where like, he's not getting $15 million, He's not getting $16 million, whatever. He's not. If he found his way to free agency next year, nobody's giving him sixteen million. There would be one team that would. No team is giving him sixteen million. Yeah, there million. would be. There's no like no I no How competitive team. How old is team How could old even is Elias fit Patterson? That in. Elias Patterson is turning twenty six this year. You're telling me a twenty six year old center, hundred point center, like perennial hundred point center, free agent on the market, which is like unheard of, wouldn't fetch sixteen million? He's not getting sixteen million. No. There wouldn't be some team that would put there on the table and 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 offer him no I, just like, the bag on the table, blank the, check. The most I could see it going up to is like fourteen point five if a team gets really desperate. Sixteen million is just that handicaps your ability to do so much. 
Because that, then we're not talking about like, hey, I know people here have been like, well, Pedersen isn't worth 12, but maybe he's worth 10.5, 11, whatever. That's a million dollar, a million and a half. It's impossible, Josh, until it happens. Look at the Maple Leafs. They broke the mold. I do think eventually teams are going to get up to 16 million. We're just not there with the cap yet. So I don't, I don't think any team is going to commit that much before they have like complete certainty that the cap is going up. And it would have to go up a dramatic amount for it to get to 60 million, in my opinion. Because how much, usually like when a star player like this signs, like a tier two player, we're not talking McKinnon or McDavid, like Elias Pettersson is clearly a tier below those guys. Yeah. They they look for about 14% of the cap. So yes, gotta, Dan Riccio. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's also like the generic. Um, I see you borrowing talking points. It's okay. It's okay. But realistically, so you're you would need the cap to be mid nineties for that, to, or no, it would have to be. Man, math I'm not good at. Live on air. Fourteen percent. Uh, but you would need to be you would need the cap to be over. What is it? It would be like a hundred and fifteen million is what the cap would have to be for that to be fourteen percent. So at a 95 million, let's say it's 95 in a couple years. What would 14% of 95 be? That would be, again, math, it would be 13.3 million, which would be a lot for Elias Pettersson. And it would be, if you get 13, 13.5, I'd be like, wow, that's insane. For him to get 16 We're million, talking about a 26-year-old perennial 100-point center here's, here's on the open market. But you're the guy who's like, oh, he doesn't deserve this. No, I would pay him 10. I don't think he's worth more than 10 on the Canucks. He's definitely worth I am that guy who's like, you cannot pay him more than 10. He is not worth 12 Why is he not worth 12 in your opinion? But when you are going up and there's a bidding war and you're a free agent, there's going to be some team out there that's like, this is our star player. This is our Sidney Crosby or Alex Ovechkin. This is our 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 the face of our team, mm-hmm. and those players in free agency get overpaid. So Alex Ovechkin, you brought up um, his contract, his his long term one, his second deal when he signed was nineteen percent of the cap. It was eighteen point nine six percent of the cap, and that was the biggest contract. But was he a free agent signed. on the open market? He wasn't a free agent on the open market. Thank you. That's but the point. Also, I rest my case. Also, a team is only going to be able to like you can only give a player 20% of the cap so that that's kind of the max deal so let's say Pedersen got like a team looks at him and they say hey you're worth 19% of our cap at 95 million that would be a lot of money but I I don't think any team looks at him like an Alex Ovechkin at in 2008 not not even the Canucks but I I do think he's clearly worth 12 million and what people have I've been in my comments being like, oh, the cap space is more valuable than Elias Pettersson because think of what you can do with it. You know what you can do with it? Like, would you rather have Elias Lindholm and Tyler Toffoli or Elias Pettersson? Obviously, Elias Pettersson. Exactly. But so, ty- we're not we're not comping Tyler Toffoli and Elias Pettersson. That's a ridiculous argument. But that's what you would do with the money. Is people like some people are looking at it and they say, well, like think of the players you could get with that twelve million. And those are the players Jim you could get. And, and no, Patrick Jim Alvin Rutherford and Patrick Alvin aren't thinking would that. replace Elias Pettersson with Lindholm and Toffoli. But that's, I'm not. I'm not saying they would try to replace him with Lindholm and Toffoli. I'm saying that that's 
that amount of cap would then be dedicated to players of that ilk where it's, Hey, you're getting a guy like Elias Lindholm or you're getting eight million. He's getting paid 8 million. He's a good player. And then maybe you bring in a winger. Who's also pretty good. Maybe a Connor Garland type. That's and. I guess the point I'm trying to make here is that it's so hard to replace someone of Elias Patterson's skill value that, again, I, I have no issue paying him $12, 13000000 million because he's just going to be worth it. And that's going to be more valuable for your team than signing someone or, or using that cap space in, an, in another way. I don't know. It's This Patterson stuff is insane, man. It's exhausting. It's exhausting because I, I think people are, are turning on the guy too soon. Well, you know why they're turning on the guy? Because they feel like he's turning on them. Yeah. End and of story. Here's what I will say. If he leaves, I think he Ooh. would be the most hated Since Mark Messier. Since, well, yeah. Like it, people it, hate it, Messier more than Kessler. He would be in the people same still tier. still wear Kessler jerseys to the rink. He would be, Pedersen would be in the same tier of, Messier. Like, of Messier. Yeah. Where it's like, this guy screwed the franchise. Yeah. So hopefully he doesn't do that. Unless they win a cup this year. If they win a cup this year, maybe it's all forgiven. Uh, 650-650, Dunbar Lumber text line. Keep those texts coming in. For Canuck Central, this has been the People Show. Uh, thanks to Dominic Schramatti. Thanks to Victor Gaucher. Jag, the intern. What's up? Bick is in. Bick is in. Sat is out. Sat is out. Dan Riccio, Bick Nazar coming yeah. up on Canuck Central. This has been the People Show. I've been Josh Elliott-Wolf. He's been Dominic Schramatti on Sportsnet 650. Hey,